This episode is sponsored by Auxilio Partners, building the legal, business, and technology infrastructure for church plants. Find out how at auxilio.partners slash five points. Welcome to the Five Points Church Planning Podcast. We are so thankful for everyone who takes the time to listen and grateful for the questions that we get at reformplanting at gmail.com from time to time. So good to hear from you. Josh, church planning is an adventure. It's a journey and it's full of great stories. I know that you have many to share and I know that we've had many unusual things happen together. I'll never forget the time when the uh, school where we met for worship was doing the uh, sound of music and there was a large Nazi flag flying uh, <laughs> behind the pulpit. And we couldn't figure out how oh, to fantastic. Uh, cover that up. Um, that was, that was a good one. Uh, we had something just so unusual happen the other day. And I think this is just the nature of church planting uh, before our worship service we had a gentleman that was seemed to be lost he was wandering around the ymca and uh, we take note of people who tend to wander around just for security reasons and um and so would love to say that he was there for worship would love to say that he wanted to be a part of our core group he wanted to see what trinity was all about but josh he needed water uh, he needed, he needed water, and I guess if you're you need water, the YMCA is the place that you want to go because there's a large swimming pool, uh, indoor and out. There's water fountains, uh, there's hydration stations. You know, you you, you got to be focused on that when you're a, a fitness center. But Josh, he he did not need water for we we found out for himself. Uh, he needed water for the marijuana plant that he was carrying around with him. <laughs> and um, needless to say, uh, that's not an experience that you that, that happens upon you every day, that as you're getting ready for worship, uh, someone is um, tending to their illegal substance uh, on church grounds. And uh, that, that was, I'll, I think I'll, I'll never forget that one. That's another one that makes church planning really exciting. Yeah, I, we uh, substance abuse is a common uh, occurrence around here. I, it seems like I look, we have cameras. We had to put cameras up around our, our church because we're close to the downtown area. And from time to time, I'll hop on and see somebody lighting up in my uh, front porch of the, the church uh, online. Sometimes I, I have to turn on the siren and speak through the speakerphone of the uh, of the camera to, to, to shoo them off. I had a, a uh, less do you, do you try to sound like do you try to sound like god when you do that to just really i do i do it? this is yeah. this is your maker speaking all that uh it yeah. always works out fantastically um <laughs> but uh this past sunday we had a less uh less comical uh event happen we were actually about an hour before the service the music team was setting up to rehearse a little, little over an hour before the service and setting up to rehearse my music before the service and um I was in the back and a, a loud bang uh, hit the side of the building. And I looked over and said, what was that? And, and our um, violin piano player uh, was was picking up her her infant daughter to move away from the, our toddler daughter to move away from the door, little exit door on the side of the building. And so I asked her what it was. She says, I have no idea, but it, I don't, something's going on out there. So 
I walked out that exit door just to see what it was. And as soon as I did, um, homeless guy from the sidewalk a little bit down, just a piece up from there, started kind of mad rushing me with big old eyeballs, uh, angry and got, um, nearly faced, you know, nearly nose to nose with me and stopped dead. And I, I didn't flinch. I was kind of like, I don't know what he's about to do, but I, I gotta be ready. So he's, you know, he's nose to nose with me and, um, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to keep it calm and have conversations. Hey, what's going on? Everything. Okay. I'm just trying to deescalate the situation. I, uh, I probably shouldn't have poked the bear a little bit, but when he told me some, he started rambling on about somebody's always going through his stuff and messing with his stuff and things of that nature. Um, my next comment was probably not overly wise when I said, so that means you want to, uh, hammer our, uh, AC unit or, or bang on our building. I mean, what, 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 what did we do to, uh, what, what, why are we banging on the side of my building because of that? And that didn't set well with him. So he picks up his bag and starts fumbling through it. And, uh, and again, I'm 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 now talking with him. He's rambling on about something, so I'm trying to calm him down a little bit. And I it apparently agitated him last little bit. So he pulled out a large kitchen knife, a uh, very large kitchen knife, looking at me with his big eyeballs. You know, basically telling me not to don't 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 over and over again. And I didn't even know what I was doing to not do it. So uh, I just stopped and said, "Hey, man, let's relax a little bit. Let's just chill out." And uh, I got him to kind of talk the knife down, decided I was just going to move away. It's time to get the authorities involved. I just wanted to deescalate. So I turned around and walk away. I decided I was going to walk around the building so that I didn't, you know, he didn't bum rush into the building, cause bigger issues with people inside. And so I walk around the building and he, as soon as I get about 20 yards away, he starts kind of like steamrolling again at me again, just hard charging at me again. And so I just had to turn around and say, Hey, we got a problem uh, real loud, kind of just, you know, just aggressively look at him uh, trying to get him to stop. And he, he backed off, chilled out. And I, I was able to kind of get around the door and uh, go to the building and call the police. And, and it, you know, unfortunately I ended up having to press charges because I couldn't have him lingering on the building, but it's crazy. Uh, I, I think about all the different odds and ends through the years. And, and there's, I got a three or four stories where I could say, I, I felt like I was about to go, uh, fisticuffs as we say in the south with mm -hmm. someone uh first time i would say i, I thought i was going to have to disarm somebody uh <laughs> uh right. from a, a sharp object or uh or gun since church planning so uh it was a yep. it was a fun little adrenaline uh push for the for this uh sunday morning yeah yeah no back when we were planting our first church we josh if you'll remember we we had somebody make a very real threat against us. Mm -hmm. And, um, mm -hmm. and, and I think you and I did not understand at the time how real it was. It was an FBI agent that in the congregation that helped us better understand the seriousness of yeah. that. But, uh, you know, church planning, it, it's a journey, it's an adventure, and it's full of all kinds of funny and interesting and serious stories. Yeah. Um, and so I would love to say that our, podcast today is on safety and security, uh, but it's not. It's it's about leadership development and the significance and importance of leadership in the life of a church plant. And Josh, it's something that's on my mind at the present moment. I am going through elder training at this church plant in the Memphis area, and I'm also helping some church planters in our denomination and we have been talking recently about leadership and leadership development within the context of their core group. And that's that's the impetus today for our episode. 
Yeah, we're we're kind of similarly in a a similar place right now. So the timing is is I guess good for both of us. You're you're looking towards your I guess first group of elders coming in, um, uh, at uh you know at Trinity. Uh, we're we're actually about to start the second round of uh, elder training um in the next in the next couple of months, and so nominations will will start here uh, in the next month, and then we'll start training with those two and. And from the first uh, iteration to now, you know, uh, I remember our time together at Madison Heights, uh, how we walked through that and then how much I learned from that. And then from the first iteration here to, to this group now, uh, how much is learned from that and a lot of things that need to be considered through that. So, yeah, looking forward to, to the conversation today. So read the intern. I will step in and moderate this debate to establish and maintain order and decorum amongst these two church planters. <laughs> so leadership development, first question, as a church planter, I know you spend most of your time twiddling your thumbs trying to figure out what to do when it's not Sunday morning and you're actually working. <laughs> so in the by chance that you happen to be busy during a week, how do you have time to actually spend on developing church leaders in the midst of all the other fundraising and meeting with people and evangelistic um, conversations and all the other things that go into running and administrating a church. How do you find time in the midst of that to develop leaders? Yeah, I think, I think it's a great place to start in our conversation today. And um and I, I'm, I, you know, Hunter, you're right now in the throes of that. And so, uh, and at the, I guess, early stages of that, I'm in kind of the second iteration of it. So I will say maybe the best thing I could offer to this part of the conversation is to say that this second go around, I just tell you, it doesn't get any easier and your time doesn't get, uh, it doesn't miraculously become more open. Um, so if you don't, you know, set priority in the early days of, um, of making it a priority to to pursue, to identify, to train leaders. Um, I, I, I just, I think you're going to be behind the eight ball every step of the way. You're going to be chasing the church plant, if you will. Um, I mean, I think some of our struggles uh, at Madison Heights um, in the early days were just the, the the unique challenges that that we faced with the just the way the, the structure was set up in that church. Um was for how do how do we how do we kind of what is the the kind of formation and um installation of elders there felt like we were have we, we were kind of playing catch up from that day forward so i think the one thing i would say to start off you know our conversation is just make it a priority it needs to be a priority uh in the early stages of the church plan and throughout your time yeah so i agree josh um i think as we have moved closer to the necessity of training elders and clearly there are other leaders within the context of a church plant, but you know, I've seen a lot, uh, there's a transition that's coming, coming that there are things that I'm not going to be able to do that I once was. And there are things that I'm going to need to be able that I'm going to need to focus on, on a greater level. And so, yeah, it comes down to priority and, learning to delegate and, you know, putting people in place that can help you with some things so that you can, as the, as the church plant matures, focus on 
other aspects, like particularly leadership and leadership development. And, and I'm not great at that sometimes. Um, I just kind of either want to do it all. And when I do that, I tend to not do anything well. But um, I've really, really been more proactive this time in terms of leadership development and realizing that I've got to make it a more central focus and let go of some other things. So if someone is looking to make leadership development a priority early on in their church plant, can you just do leadership training as a process of what you're doing with your entire core group as a whole? Is that a sufficient or efficient or practical way for you to start doing leadership development and training with your entire core group? Yeah, so that's that's a good question. Because not everyone within your core group is a natural leader. But you've got to help them understand that they are stepping out in faith to start a church. And so it requires that everyone lead in some shape, form, or fashion. So you want to help them see the significance of stepping up and leading and helping, being that servant leader, even if it doesn't come to you naturally, um, it's not what you feel um, your calling is per se. I want to emphasize with them that for a season, I, you know, we really need everyone pulling the same rope in the same direction. Um, and that that's, that's important. As the church grows, there will be people who will um, take a, an even greater leadership role. Um, that's just naturally the way it develops. But early on, you're just trying to communicate, at least I'm trying to communicate to all of them, that um, if we're going to step out in faith and we're going to do this, if we're going to attempt to uh, start a church for the glory of God, we all uh, have to hold the reins of leadership in, in some shape, form, or fashion. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's good. I I will tell you, I, I think I do think sometimes um, the common practice amongst you know church planners is to to try to do um, your leadership training through your core group. Um, you want to you know kind of because of that kind of missional component of the church planning thing, you want to kind of press some of your the kind of call to mission on them. And, and then we, we think sometimes that that suffices for, um, you know, kind of early stage leadership training. And, and, and I think maybe a helpful way to think about it, at least the way I'm thinking about it now is, is that, you know, maybe a distinction needs to be made as you, as we answer that question, can you do it through the core group initially to say that I think you can, as you charge them and what church planning is about, you are using that part of your training, um, more of leadership identification um, and distinguishing between identification and training. Um, because as you're calling everybody to the task of church planning, you're talking about the the the, the normal the normative Christian experience of all believers who are to to be willing and able to to give a hope that's found within. But as you're charging them with that, I, I do think in that core group stage, you're going to begin to see folks who resonate with that more, who you begin to see, um, uh, you know, own a little bit of that role and responsibility to a greater degree. And so I, I would say for me, and Hunter, Hunter, you could push back. I, I'd love to see what you thought about it. But 
I think maybe what you're doing in those early stages is calling everybody to a role of leadership and you're able to begin identifying those individuals that might um, have greater capacity in church uh, in church leadership so that you can maybe um, begin pursuing something more directly, you know, more formal um, in training in, that, in those folks. Yeah, absolutely. And we've mentioned this in past episodes, and I'm not going to do a deep dive on this, but one of the great things about church planting is it gives opportunities for people to lead and to serve that otherwise they would not have in larger churches. And it's been a real joy of mine in both church plants to see people come to me and talk about um, how they really feel like the Lord is using some leadership skills and some servant skills through the church plant that we're not being exercised in other places. And, and, and that's, that's always fantastic. But I think it's multi-tiered leadership within the early years mm-hmm. of a core group. As a church planner, I'm thinking, how do I create an atmosphere of leadership amongst the entire group so that we can start this church? Mm-hmm. Everybody needs to pitch in. Everybody needs to help. Everybody needs to think in terms of how can I lead? How can we you know, all get on the bus? And I know this analogy is used all over the place, but how do we all get on the bus in the same seat, facing in the same direction, going to the same spot? Um, how can we all help lead in this, this new journey of faith? Secondarily, you begin to think about the leadership that will matriculate, excuse me, the leadership that will develop as you go down further down the road. Who's going to lead the children's ministry? Who's going to help lead the nursery? Who's going to be the leader of the various ministry teams that make up the life of the church? So this is leadership in the context of men and women. I think the third tier that you begin to consider to think about and even pray about is your your elder leadership development. Who are going to... Who are going to be the future elders of this church? You know, in our denomination, in the PCA, that uh, the office of ruling elder is for men. And so what men in this core group is the Lord raising up to be the future leaders? And so it's, it's broad to narrow. Um, everybody needs to lead. Um, a certain group of people will eventually step up to take a greater leadership role. And then also the development of your future ruling elders who will help lead the church. So you've both mentioned so far that as you're beginning this process with your entire core group, you're on the lookout for leaders. So what are you on the lookout for that's going to let you know that this person has a certain skill set that would be useful or beneficial or help them as they're leading a ministry team or as they're going through eventually elder training to lead the entire church. So Josh, why don't you start us? What are you looking for in these people? Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, Hunter's language of the uh, is very helpful with the tiered nature of, you know, you know, of, of leadership development. Um, you know, I, I think we're, you know, in the early stages, um, you know, we have to distinguish between what we're looking for ultimately. And when we talk about leadership development, we immediately jump to elders um, who are going to be those people who are elders and deacons, office holders in the church. But 
really early on, you're, you're just teaching service. You know, what does it mean and creating a culture of humble servants uh, that, that understand what does it mean that, that um, it's an all hands on deck kind of reality. And, and, and when you do that, you begin to see the, the most foundational component of leadership, necessary in leadership, humility and service. And, and then as you begin to grow the church, you're, you're trying to cultivate owners. Um, you know, Hunter, I remember what was helpful for me when we were at Madison Heights, you talked about our membership class being our, you know, kind of our ownership meeting. It was, you know, who are the, who are the people going to own this ministry? And, um, and, and I do think the kind of second tier is beyond kind of that humble service in the early days, who are those people that really take ownership of the ministry um, so looking at individuals who are really owning the vision, owning um, and able to communicate the culture of the church, understand the dynamic of those and and, and place those individuals in key roles in the church uh, as you go along. And then I, I think from there, as as you begin to see the kind of character of humble service and the the manner in which they are really owning the vision, direction, culture of the church, um, that's when you're beginning to get into more formal processes of looking and saying that, you know, what are the, the, the quote unquote biblical qualifications of the office of elder and deacon. And then you're looking at more, something a little bit more, I think, directly biblical with some direct biblical characteristics and identification, uh, and then pursuing those individuals maybe a little bit more, uh, formally at that point. Um, so Josh, real quick before we kick it over to Hunter, you talk about looking for someone who is exhibiting humble service in the core group. Practically, what does that look like in a core group meeting for someone to be a humble servant? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. Sometimes we throw words around, right? Um, what is it? What does that look like? What does humble service look like? Um, you know, a lot of people. I would say in the early stages of the church here, um, the individuals who are, are aren't having to be asked to do certain things, but are trying to find ways to do it. As simple in the earliest days of the church plant here, we're you know Emily and I did a lot of the initial kind of core group meetings um, or, or informational meetings to start up with, and so we're getting there early. We're setting a spread. We're trying to make sure that it feels inviting. All the hospitable care characteristics that are there but so people show up after we've done a lot of that initial work but when it's time to close it down those individuals who are taking initiative they're not staring at us or they're not just walking right out the door but they're immediately going to bag up the trash or clean off don't want to rush out the door or want to or want to thank you because they notice the service that you've put you know the effort you've put into what's there and there's there's gratitude and thanksgiving for the energy that's made um I mean, it, it, it seems simple. It, it seems basic, but a lot of times you're going to see folks that are going to come up and or the individual who just wants to come up and, and question you about every little nuance of what you're wanting to do. And they're wanting to kind of analyze to death everything that you've said and what's done while everybody else are kind of busy. You look up going, it's not that having good questions about, you know, vision and direction is a bad thing. It's really just looking at, okay, but is that is that person also going to serve? Are they also going to demonstrate a measure of wanting to love and, and care for others um, more than just always, you know, asking everything, <laughs> uh, asking every little nuance question? So you're looking for for folks who are taking initiative just to do the little things, uh, is what I would say. Yeah, I wholeheartedly commend every 
thing that uh, Josh is saying, um, you know, an analogy, we were at the beach uh, this summer and um, uh, my nephews and my son, when we got to the pool, um, I don't know how it would be humanly possible to make more noise getting in a pool. Um, they, they, they made as much noise as you possibly could make and woke everybody up that was sitting around the pool trying to relax and enjoy themselves. About 20 minutes later, a group of little girls came about the same age as, as my son and my nephews. And um, they got into the pool like ninjas. Like it was just so quiet and, I don't know, sweet, I guess would be a good way to describe it. And um, and I think that describes for me well what Josh said. As is, is, is I'm observing the core group, as I'm getting to know these people, that again, as a church planner, in most cases, you really don't know your core group all that well. And I'm looking for those that are not trying to make the dramatic splash, but who are getting into the pool quietly. Mm. Um, I would say also, I really love and appreciate the people that come to me and say, I'm just not sure I'm called to lead. Mm. That to me is always a good omen for future leadership. The yeah. ones that come and, and saddle up next to me and proclaim uh, what they're good at and what they're going to do uh, that always make me nervous. Um, now, I might be wrong, and I have been in the past with some individuals, but generally I'm looking for that servant's heart and humility and someone who's really wrestling with, um, and, you know, am I called to be here and am I called to what particular role is the Lord calling me to be a part of in the context or the life of this church plan? So, yeah, that's. So as you begin to notice these people that are acting and giving off these characteristics that you're looking for, how do you begin to identify them as leaders and maybe start giving them a little extra responsibility as a testing or proving process for their leadership without showing favoritism or looking like you're showing favoritism towards these groups or these individuals within the church. Yeah. So that's, that's tough um, because you're, you're a small group and you you're beginning to get to know each other on a more intimate level. And you don't want to come across as a church planner that's, um, befriending on a greater level, on a deeper level, a certain group of individuals within the life of the core group. Um, and so as you are beginning to notice people that have certain leadership qualities, for me, I don't want to inundate one person with too many responsibilities. I want to give everyone an opportunity to serve and I'm paying attention to certain things. Do they enjoy uh, helping out in this fashion? Are they organized? Are they helpful? Do they have leadership qualities? Do they have leadership skills? Um, were they able to navigate this challenge um, in, a, in a wonderful way that benefited the life of the church? So, it's, it's broadly spread out in what I'm asking people to do, but I'm paying attention to 
how they perform, if you will. And, you know, in both church planning situations that I've been involved in, the core group has continued to grow, thankfully. And so the net that you cast is a little bit wider. And so it's less noticeable, honestly, sometimes when you're asking a handful of people to maybe do a few extra things. But I think also the group begins to realize and they come to a recognition that this person is really good at this. Mm -hmm. This person is really good at that. And so if you are very even in what you ask people to do, they will recognize that it's okay that this person is helping with this aspect of worship and this person is helping with this component of fellowship and because they just have natural tendencies in those areas. But it's, again, it's, you do have to juggle all of this and you have to be mindful of feelings and personalities and so forth. Yeah, I, I think those are those good. I think there's two things you said there towards the end that, that resonated with me. Um, that has to do with character and an aspect that has to do with um, uh, gifting. And if, if we go back to the previous thing we said, and that we're looking for those who are serving as opposed to those who are trying to make the big splash, I <laughs> uh, thought your analogy was helpful there. I, I do think the folks that want to, that want the role and are speaking the loudest and the most tend to create, I mean, I think they tend to, they're easily noticed by the people anyway. Um, the, the, the people who are just serving steadily, you begin to, if you're identifying them, um, as, um, what we would consider stronger character qualities for leadership and, and you're giving them roles, people already have buy-in on those people because they're being served by those people. And so them stepping into roles as already serving, they've already done the role work for you. So you're not showing favoritism. You're just identifying what's already happening, what they're already doing in the right way of things. And I, I think that makes a difference. So I, if, if character is really something that's driving, which I believe for the apostle Paul, when he's discussing character, I mean, when he's discussing qualifications for office, he spends most of his time talking about character over actual responsibilities then I think if we're doing that on the front end, that helps a ton. And then you're looking at gifting as you're beginning to give those individuals who are already doing things, already being received by the congregation as such, and I'm just talking about it, they're doing it. Um, then I think gifting plays in. You're identifying the reality that they're more qualified to do technology-oriented things or, or music-oriented things or organizationally or administratively geared things. Um that there's a sense in which they they fall into natural roles and you want to make sure you divvy up those responsibilities so that you're not overwhelming any one person so that favoritism is not really a part of the equation because you know as once as we said earlier it's an all hands on deck reality even as you're giving some individuals more significant roles uh in leadership i don't know if that uh helps but that's kind of the way i see it as i was hearing what you were saying so one last question before we wrap things up today. Eventually, you are going to nominate and train and elect a first batch of elders or elder candidates for your church plant. Do you guys want to talk about 
the significance of that first batch of elders that are going to lead an established trajectory and be a sort of founding fathers, figures of the church plant, just the significance of first elders, anything you guys want to talk about there? I would say it's most certainly super important. And Hunter and I have all, both together experienced early stages of that. Hunter, as you think about kind of that process with us, what 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 jumps out at you? Well, it's um, it can be challenging because, and a lot of people don't understand the governmental process. At least in our yeah. denomination, um, you have a borrowed session. You have elders from other churches that are providing oversight for the church plant. And your congregation, your core group, nominates men for the office of elder. So you've got a group of men who ha who are going to approve another group of men for the office of ruling elder that do not really know each other. Mm -hmm. Unless it's a, a mother church sending out a large group to plant a church, and they happen to, you know, they're just in the same church and they know each other previously um so in both church planning situations and we're going through again training right now for our first group of elders the borrowed session does not know the men who are going through training or who went through training previously so i think because of the discontinuity that exists between the borrowed session and those who have been nominated not knowing each other perhaps at all um and because this is your first group of elders and it will set the tone and the trajectory for the church plant for potentially years to come, it's something that you have to not only pray about, but really take seriously and think about early on and plan for. And, you know, planting a church a second time affords you that opportunity. I don't think the first time around I put enough thought and preparation and planning into that process. Yeah. And I would say some of our, a lot of our listeners, um, you know, might not necessarily be from, you know, from the same background we're a part of that has maybe the, the same level of, you know, or the same strictures that we have um, uh, structure and stricture that we have uh, around uh, the, the kind of nomination election process. And, and mine's a little bit unique here because uh, by our denominationals kind of lingo, I was considered an, uh, an evangelist, um, um, which gave me freedom to uh, kind of elect, install our, our, our first group of elders, um, or at least to, to identify and, and set them apart for it. And then the presbytery would come in and our particularization service. But that put the, it did give me the freedom, which a lot of our individuals coming from different backgrounds might have some freedom and in installing their first group of, of, of elders or leadership within the church. And, and I had that here, but man, I, I'd already, we'd already, you know, through our time together, Hunter, I'd already understood the, the importance of that. And I actually, I, I really wanted some, some feedback. I wanted some voices into that. And so, um, you know, early on, I actually had a borrowed session that I actually brought in to to serve as counsel in a in a in a less official, more kind of uh, supportive role in that, and just to get good feedback. And so there's a push pull in all of those things. But 
Um, I will say that your first group, you know, if the if you never get a first, uh, never get a second chance to make a first impression, if we've heard that saying before, right, right, you you really never get a chance to 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 set the tone um, for your leadership in your church as you do with that first group, and you want to think long and hard about what is most important, and uh, that character quality that the apostle Paul puts greatest emphasis on is the thing that you want to look, the world will tell you what a leader is by how upfront they are and by how strong they are and what they do and by the roles they play within the community and society. I would be very leery of letting that lead your thought process, um, on any level, to be honest with you, I'd want to just understand how they love, serve, and humbly um, both approach the scriptures uh, and the people that they're called to serve. And I'd want to put most of my time identifying and, and, and examining those realities and the people who would, who would step in to begin with. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's why we decided to carry out our leadership training over the course of an entire year, yeah. not six weeks, not eight weeks, but an entire year. Um, I wanted to get this right. Uh, I wanted to really drill down on what you just talked about, those gospel characteristics that Paul talks so much about um, regarding the elders of the church. I mean, fortunately, the men that have been nominated in, my, in our first class are solid theologically. But I tell them time and time again that they're not being trained to be seminary professors. I want them to know their reform theology. I want them to know the confession of faith. I want them to know the book of church order. But my main concern is their heart and shepherding. And that that is, I think we've had a very balanced approach in terms of our training, but time and time again, I've gone back to God is calling you to be a shepherd of the flock. And God is I'm calling you to be a a servant leader, to love these people well, to to um, set a Christ-like example for them. And that's um, and also for us to be a band of brothers. Um, mm -hmm. I've used that you know analogy time and time again, that we're in this together and we are um, you know, we need to be vulnerable and we need to hold each other accountable and um you know, we need to share what's on our heart, which is often, you know, not an enjoyable experience for men, but we need to share what's on our heart with each other. Um, you know, this is, we're, we're a session. We are a band of, of brothers. We're in it together. Uh, and, um, and so, yeah, we're taking a whole year because I want to get this right, because I think it's, it's that important. It's that significant and strategic. Yeah, I mean, I think that's great, Hunter. Just don't let, don't let the, you know, the the sense of wanting to, you know, become an established church with established leadership. Don't let the tail wag the dog. Do the work of of cultivating tight relational bonds with those who you're going to call to serve alongside of. I think that's great advice, great thought. Extend that training. Don't feel like you got to get it done in a hurry. Um, uh, make it intentional. I think you can't you can't spend enough time prepping the ground uh, yep. before you you bring them in. That's that's very helpful. Thank you. Yep. Yeah, we, Josh. We don't mention books all that often on this podcast, but 
Um, one of the ones that we've used recently by Paul David Tripp is lead 12 gospel principles for leadership in the church yeah. and yeah. cannot recommend it enough. It's yeah. been uh, such a um, eye opening and heart opening book as we've gone through our leadership uh, training. So I would highly recommend that. Well, I don't know if we've been helpful or not. Uh, you know, I don't know, Josh, in many regards, I still feel like I'm trying to figure out leadership and what it means to be a leader. And yeah. uh, it's, it's a challenging thing and, um, and, and it's not easy. And so um, I hope we've been helpful. I hope we've given some good advice and hopefully what we said has benefited you today. Again, thank you for joining the Five Points Church Planning Podcast. We are so grateful that you take the time out of your busy schedule to listen to us. That's the last word for now. You can reach us with comments or questions on Twitter or Facebook at Five Points Planting or by email at reformplanting at gmail.com. See y'all next time. Five Points Church Planting is a member of the Society of Reformed Podcasters.